The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com. Last week we talked about our relationship with the Lord, and today we're going to talk about our relationship with each other and with the world. And some of this, this morning, is going to sound a lot of do, 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 like stuff you got to put your hands to, and what is it that God's calling us to, and it sounds very works-oriented. And so I want to start with this scripture before... I pose our main question and, and get into our, our, our passages for today. Out of John chapter 5, verse 39. I've got to put my cheaters on. Gee whiz. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the people around him. And they're trying to make themselves righteous in their own strength. And they look at the scriptures and they're, they're doing all that they can to be righteous. And Jesus says this to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you speak you speak through your word, your revelation, the Bible to us every time we open it, every time we read it. But Father, we can be guilty of trying to earn our righteousness and our own strength, trying to be good enough. And Christ, we just sang those songs to you about how you've risen from the grave, how you took our sin, how you've given us new life. You did everything that was required. All that the law demand, you did it. So we don't have to strive. We just need to receive grace. And as we receive it, be transformed. And the scriptures that so often become a yoke, a burden are the very revelation, the very truths that lead us into relationship deeper with you. So may we have our eyes fixed in the right places this morning and see what it really looks like to be a disciple and what it really looks like to not just love you, Lord, but to love one another and love the world that is in darkness. And so we ask that, Holy Spirit, you would illuminate the... the the myriad scriptures that we will run through today. And we ask that you would highlight one or several of them. Spirit, would you just highlight them in our mind and in our heart that we would take time this week to go back and just soak in that, to read over it again and again, to pray about it. There's something 
for each of us this morning. You have it for us here today. So we, we come expectant to hear you speak through your word in this moment. Teach us. You are the good teacher. And it's in Jesus' name we ask all this, Father. Amen. So the question is, what does a life of a Christian look like? That's the question I want us to, to answer this morning. And so it's going to sound like it's a lot of works, but it's about Christ. Everything comes back to him. But the primary passage that we are going to, to look at is Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. And it says this, Jesus is speaking and teaching, and of course the religious leaders are coming around, they're listening, they're criticizing, they're trying to catch him, and the Sadducees have come in, asked him a question, and they just kind of got put in their place, right? And then the Pharisees huddle up and they're like, we, I think we got a question for him. And so we have this discourse here. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So a lawyer comes out of the group of Pharisees and he asks this question. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Mike, can you do something for me? Can you turn the lights up just a little bit? Because I'm noticing that people are using the lights from the windows to like... <laughs> to see their Bible. <laughs> Sorry, guys. So this question comes out of a desire of the Pharisees to put Jesus into their camp. They, they, they're saying, okay, he's obviously not a Sadducee. Because Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. <laughs> As Seth would say, that was a dad joke. And we know because it became apparent. Oh, yeah, I know. Just full of them. They want to put Jesus in their camp. So they're, they're like, okay, he's obviously not with those guys. Maybe he's with us. So let's, let's see what he says about this question. They rank the law. They're like, there's, there's just different ones, and sometimes if, if one contradicts another, which one's the better law, and how do you fulfill it? And so if we want to be righteous, we always got to do the better law over the one that may be contradicted at times. And so they've ranked all the laws, and not only that, they've made a whole bunch of laws, and then they've ranked those in there. And so the Pharisees are like, let's ask Jesus what he thinks about this. They, he wants, they want to show people that their way of life is the correct way. They want people to see that Jesus affirms what they do. So they, they try to live by the law, and as a result, they end up living in self-righteousness and pride, and they created burdens, and they created uh, yokes that were harsh on the people, and it would shame the people and discourage them. And so they asked Jesus for his list. What order do you put the law of Moses in? What is the number one answer? They're asking him, what is, what is his number one answer? As if it's like a spiritual family feud and there's Steve Harvey. You know, 
surveys us. Jesus answers them. The first is this, to, to love God. Love God, not just like a young boy who's Twitter-pated with a cute girl, but to love God with every part of your being. He says, with all your heart, soul, and mind. Deuteronomy 6 says it this way. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And Mark chapter 12, verse 30, puts it all together. When Jesus is asked this question, he answers it this way in that uh, gospel. It says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This type of love that Jesus is talking about is not passive. It's not passive. It's, it's active. It's not compartmentalized. It's all-encompassing. And I think that's where a lot of us fall into our religious life, into compartmentalizing it. It's like, well, I do the church thing, and then I have my work, and then I have my relationships, and I have my entertainment, and I have my hobbies, and I have, and we just, that's, I mean, for most men, I mean, that's kind of how we think. It's not necessarily how, how we live, but that's kind of how we think. We kind of put everything in its own little box, right? And I think people in general compartmentalize their, their life, and, and God is just part of it. I got all these things in my life, and God's just part of it. But what Jesus is saying is God is over all of it, and he's through all of it. He's in all of it. He transforms every part of it. He says, when you love God, it's an active love. You're loving him with all of your being. So what does a Christian do? He loves God with all of his being, all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, all of his strength. How are you doing? When, when I read that, some days I'm like, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Other days I read that and I'm like, Phew. like there's areas I'm really not doing that well. How are you doing? What does it look like for you today, this morning? Where are you with the Lord this morning? How are you loving him? If we just took an area of your life, do you love him with, with everything in that area? With all your heart, mind, body, and strength in your work. With all your heart, mind, body, and strength in your marriages. In your heart, mind, body, and strength in fill in the blank. Entertainment, sport, whatever. How are you loving him? Look at James chapter 2, verses 18 through 26. It's a, it's a little bit long, but James talks about this. He says, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. 
And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So James is saying, listen, you may say, I believe in God. I love the Bible. I believe everything in it. And he says, that's great. Satan does too. What makes you different from him? Well, it's because of the gospel you have been redeemed and you have been transformed. And in that transformation, James is saying, good works follow. Good works come out of you. You you live differently. He says, people should be able to tell that you are a follower of Jesus by the life you live. So if you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, body, and strength, then your life looks very different. It looks unlike the world around us. And so often our lives look just like everyone else's. So why do we need Jesus? I mean, that's what the world thinks. Why do I need Jesus? I'm, I'm no different than that guy who has Jesus. Sure, maybe I cuss a little more. But in their mind, they're like, we are no different. So why do I need him? They, they should look at our lives and say, we are vastly different, you and I. Why? Because all of our life is being transformed and being conformed to the image of Jesus. We're, we, we are more and more like him. And Jesus, when he interacted with the people of this world, when he came and walked among us, they knew that there was something very different happening. The kingdom of God had come near. When you and I walk in the fullness of the Spirit and we're living a life that God calls us to, the kingdom of God is coming near. People should see that. They should say, there's something different about this man. There's something different about this woman. And it should point them to Christ. So how you live shows your love for the Lord. If it shows how deeply, it should show how deeply rooted your faith goes. The works that come out of your life, the the works of your hands show how deeply rooted your faith in Christ goes. How are you loving Jesus? I mean, we just keep bringing it like, what does your life look like? What what do the works of your hands look like? What, what, What are you doing? How are you speaking? What are you speaking about? What are the things that are coming out of your life? Now, is this works righteousness? Now, that's what it kind of reads like. James is reading like it's works righteousness, that we're justified by our works, that works makes us justified with faith, with faith because he's using this. But it's showing the fullness of faith. It's showing that we truly have faith. Abraham was given a promise, and he could have done nothing. He couldn't be like, yeah, I believe God's going to do it. And he didn't live in that promise. Would he have had faith? 
No, it was the act that he followed God. And when God says, sacrifice your son, he says, okay, I'm going to follow and obey and I'm going to go and sacrifice Isaac. It showed that he believed God. It showed that he had faith in what God had promised. The action did not save him. James isn't saying that. He's saying the action shows that he was deeply rooted in the truth and the promise of God. Rahab, the same. She hid the, the, those who came and were spying out the land, and she had the promise from them, and she acted on the promise. Are you acting on the promises of God? Do you know the promises of God? There's so many good promises for us to be walking in and receiving and asking God, fulfill this in my life. Well, he says, okay, I will fulfill it in your life. And he, the Holy Spirit says, walk in this way or go do this thing or, or be over here and do these things. And now, what is this? Faith is the action. It moves us into the action. So we want to see promises at times fulfilled in our lives. Then we have to live in a way that claims the promise. So what does a Christian do? He, he walks after God in all of his ways, in all areas of his life. He, he pursues God with all his heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. Now, this idea of works righteousness, this is the area of James is, is a contentious book if you go back to Reformation history. This is where Protestants and Catholics have argued for centuries, and even today will argue over faith and works. It's for this reason, this idea that James puts forward in this passage that, that Martin Luther hated the letter of James. He said in his school, now he never said it should be taken out of the Bible, but he said in his school it should never be taught because it doesn't speak one iota of Jesus. He looked at it and said, it's, it's, it's teaching works righteousness. And he called it the epistle of straw. On its face, on its face, without reflection, it could appear that James is just saying that we are all just Wild West Christians. Meaning, you do what you got to do to get her done. You know, you, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and you gut it out. And when it's hard, you suck it up, buttercup. That's how most Christians live, is it not? Many do. Just got to gut it, just got to do it. I'm just, it's exhausting. Jesus says, I came to give you life and life abundant. That's not abundant life, what I just said there. It's exhausting. It's full of hardships. It's full of doubt and shame when you mess up and guilt when you're not getting it right. There's constant anxiety and fear. You're, and if you're doing well, you're prone to pride and arrogance. And that is not what James nor Jesus had in mind for the believer. That's not what they had in mind. So it's not by our works that we're made righteous. It's by grace. It's by being transformed. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So grace transforms. The gospel of Jesus, it transforms and good works follow. God's good works are given to us because this is where we relate to him. This is where we see him. This is where we experience him. You want to have more Jesus in your life? Follow him into the good works he has for you. He's going to give you opportunities to grow and to be stretched and to be challenged and, and to say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this unless I just cling to you. I don't know how this is going to happen. He wants that because he wants you to know him in deeper, more intimate ways. He says, I've designed these good works for you. And they're going to, at times, be hard, but the end result is a deeper love, a deeper relationship with God. Good works, our good works, are rooted in a deep affection for and a security in Christ. We should have a deep affection for him and have a deep security in him, knowing that he is good and he is carrying us through and that he's helping us and that, that these good works show that we love him and, we, and we're taking hold of those promises and we're claiming those, and, but yet we are secure in him. They're not being done so we have his affection on us. We already have secured his affection. He loves us wildly. And now that, you might, oh, Rob, wildly is like a crazy word. Think about it. He came, took on flesh, went to the cross, died for your sins so that he can love you fully, love you. And then he says, come, walk with me. And our good works show that we have a love for him, but we are secure in him. We're not trying to to earn his affection. We already have his affection. When we do these good works, when we walk in good works, when we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and those works flow out of our life, people see you love God, and they observe how you love God, and they are blessed from your good works. Who are you blessing this week? Who are you blessing this month, this year? What are your good works going towards? Yes, it's it's, it's showing that you love God, but, but it blesses others around you. They see God. They experience God through you because you are the hands and feet of Jesus. You are the mouth of Jesus in their life. You are the one who is working in their life, in their circumstance, with your good works, and they see God. That's why they say you and I are vastly different. We're not the same. Because they see God in what you're doing and how you're living. And so, who are you blessing this year? Now, I don't want us to miss the irony of Ephesians chapter 2. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. I know your works. This is Jesus speaking to the church at Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, 
and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Keep going. Thank you. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Here's the church of Ephesus. We read chapter 2. By grace we're saved, not by works. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Like, I don't have to be good enough. Jesus did all, and he's changed me and transformed me. His affection rests on me. And since I am walking after him and loving him, good works are following. And then I get enamored with the works and the ministry and all the good things and all the systems and processes and what church could be and what church should be and what man says church should look like. And, and I get all caught up in all this and I start doing all this stuff. And I start becoming religious in itself. And what's he say here in, in Revelation? Guys, come back to your first love. Come back to me. It was, it's about me. Church is about Jesus. When we gather together, it's about us worshiping him, coming into his presence, the spirit teaching us and working in us and filling us. It's about him. The works we do, the ministries we have, they should all point people back to Jesus, to relationship with Jesus. It's good to have all the Bible studies and things. All of those things are good, but if it's just because we're putting Scripture in our head and we're just learning the Bible, then we go back to John chapter six, or John chapter five, where Jesus says, "You search the Scriptures looking for eternal life in them, but it's the Scriptures that point you to me. They testify about me. All truths that we get out of the Scripture lead us to Jesus, lead us into relationship." And so the church in Ephesus, don't miss the irony. Like they, they are told by Paul, it's by grace you've been saved, not by works. And they're celebrating in that. And they're doing great works. And then it becomes about the works. And Jesus says, guys, it's not about the works. It's about me walking with you together. We're on this journey together. How many of you guys, how many of you guys... Uh, drive over the bridge and go into Minnesota? How many of you guys like, how many of you uh, just, that's all you use that bridge for? <laughs> like, you're like, I love this bridge because it's a shortcut and I don't have to go all the way around. When I first moved here, that bridge wasn't open. And the first time, like, if you're new in town and you get down there and the first time the, bri the lift bridge and you're up there and you're like, this is cool, this is fun. Okay, about the hundredth millionth time, you're like, oh, right? And then the new bridge opens and everybody's like, yay, new bridge. So it didn't take long for me to be excited about the new bridge. The first couple of times it was nice to go the other way, but use that new bridge. I'm going to be honest, that's all I use it for. I just... How many of you guys use it to walk? Enjoy it? Just a few of us. Yeah, there's some hands. 
that bridge has two purposes, doesn't it? Think about our relationship with Christ like that bridge. There's nothing wrong using that bridge to get from point A to point B. Jesus is our way to salvation. He is our way to heaven. We, we get on that bridge and we go. And we're like, yes, I'm going to meet the king. I'm going on my way. And I'm in my car and I'm driving. I'm using the bridge and he's, he's taking me home. But you know what Jesus says to us, to the church? He says, it's not just about the bridge, guys. Yeah, I'll get you there. It's by faith you're saved. You can take the bridge. It'll get you. There's nothing wrong with that. But you know what? I designed your life to actually use that path, to meander, to take some time, be with me, to, to see the view, see what's out here, to see life, and, and to take your time and, and just linger for a while, or, or to, to find joy in it. I was driving over the bridge the other day, snow-covered, you know, on the sides and stuff, and there's these two dudes on their mountain bikes, all bundled up, and they got like their little headlamp on and stuff, and they're just pedaling away, you know. And, I was, and you know what I thought? I thought, idiots. <laughs> but those guys, I guarantee you later, they're like, yeah, we, we pedaled on that. We were, we're riding the bridge today. We, it was a challenge, and it was awesome snow-covered, we're on our mountain bikes, it's freezing cold, and we're doing it. Your relationship with Jesus could be like that. Like, that's what he wants for us. Hey, I got some really good things, cool things. Now, you can get from A to B, and we can do that, or we can take time with him. The point is, it's about him. It's always about him. It's always been about him. So the analogy is, the bridge is about Jesus. It gets us to heaven. It's, it's the relationship that carries us there. The side is Jesus' invitation to say, come and linger with me. Walk with me. Let's do life together. Let's, let's have these adventures. I got good works for you that are here. Christianity, without good works, or good works without love, is a false gospel to the world. Consider this moment in Jesus' ministry, Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 14. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, that's he being Jesus, and seeing, the, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Later in the passage, they're going to come back and the tree is withered and it's dead. He cursed it. He cursed the tree. Why? It looked alive. It was in leaf. Like, that's the point. Like He's like, look at this tree. I'm hungry. It's in leaf. There should be figs on it. If we are talking about the Christian life without good works, we look like a tree without figs. It's like, yeah, I, I love Jesus. I'm doing all the religious things and all that, and I have no fruit to give. I have no good works to give. I have nothing to bless. That's a false gospel. That's not how we are supposed to live. If we just have, 
good works without love. That means that we're just doing good works to try to earn God's favor. Well, that's not the gospel either. So what does God want? He wants us to be in season, every season, very much fruit, to be connected to Christ. He is the vine, we are the branches, and in him we bear much fruit. And when we don't, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, we read this, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chases every son whom he receives. Chastises, sorry. And so what we see is that God works in us. He disciplines us. He, he prunes us. He, he wants good works to bear much fruit because it shows the world Jesus. It shows, it shows them what they're missing, this relationship with God, this deep abiding relationship. You have a part of that, that he is calling people to himself and he's using you to do it. If you will bear much fruit, if you will do good works, you will show the gospel of Jesus to people around you. But if they see it's a show, that you look like a tree with no fruit, well, they're not going to come to Christ. And if they see that it's a burden, that Christianity is all about works, works, works. How many times do you hear, oh, I don't like Christianity. Why? It's all these rules. And now, adults say it's about the rules or religion. If you ask kids in the youth group, they're going to be like, it's all the things you're not allowed to do. Right? Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't be, you know. It's all about rules. So both of those are false gospels. Right? We're showing people what it really means to be a disciple is to walk deeply with Jesus and love him with all of our heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. So Christianity is, is coupled with how we live. So what is life? Christ. Christ is our life. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And who needs life? Well, dead people need life. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole point of the resurrection. Jesus was raised so that we too may be raised to life. So we all who were dead people needed life. We were all dead. We needed Christ who is our life, who raises us and gives us life. Who needs life? Dead people. So that means the Christian needs to walk in the resurrection life, the new life. And what does a living person do? He becomes like Jesus. Romans 8, 29, I've mentioned it already. He says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He wants you to be conformed. All right. Many times I've used the Eeyore analogy, oh, I'm just a Christian, driving along. Okay, I'm not going to do that again, even though I just did. Many Christians look at, look at their faith, look at their life, and they say, it's about being saved. Yeah, part of that, it's about receiving the gospel. And they say, well, that's enough. I'm not worthy of the other stuff. I'm not going to ask God to do these things. I'm not going to search for more. It's selfish to ask for more. It's selfish to go into those promises and say, I want that promise or I want that. Like, we should be humble and we should be just, God, whatever you want. God, whatever you want to do. Whatever, Lord, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. Whatever you want to do. He wants to conform you to the image of Christ. 
So he wants to give you everything. He wants to pour all kinds of blessings and transformation into your life. He wants you to ask, seek, and knock. He wants you to come to him and rely on him, and he wants to bestow on you all the riches and glory that he has for you. He doesn't say, well, you get this now, but later, if you're a good boy or a good girl, I have all these other things. No, he says, I am conforming you to the image of my son. That is my will, and that is what I want to do, and I want you to come and receive and walk with me and do the good works because the good works are some of those things that he has for you to conform you. And so we should say, I want more Jesus in all of my life. And when we have more Jesus in all of our life, we love him more. Why? Because we're transformed more. We've received more blessing. We have more joy. We're like, why didn't I do this sooner? So Matthew twenty two thirty nine he says, love God. The second thing is, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're being conformed and it's Christ living through you, then consider John 13, 34. He says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Just as I have loved you. Well, how has Jesus loved you? I'm just going to take one passage, Ephesians 5, 25 through 32. It says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Okay, how did he love you? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Just as Christ does the church. All of this is about how Jesus loves you, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So how has Jesus loved you? He gave himself up for you. He sanctifies you. He cleanses your life with the word. He presents you without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing to himself. He makes you holy and without blemish. He nourishes you. He cherishes you. He becomes one with you because you are his body. Not to mention, there are a hundred times in scriptures we're told to act in some positive way towards each other, how we are to love one another. There's a hundred different times in scriptures where we are to one another. And this fulfills the great command to love God and to love each other and as we do that, it also fulfills the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
teaching them to, des- uh, to observe all that I have commanded. How do you do that? By doing those good works, living with them, showing Christ to them. I have been transformed, and he is working through me. It's Christ in me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. And these good works are coming out, and I'm loving Jesus more and more and more, and I'm showing them how Jesus transforms our lives, and they observe that. They see that. They hear the gospel that Christ will save them. They come, and they receive Jesus when they, when they see this. I'm loving them as Christ lay, loved me. I'm I'm showing them, I'm teaching the world, those who are in darkness groping for hope that they don't know where it is, I am going and showing them that God gave himself for them, that he would sanctify them, that he would cleanse them, that he would present them without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, that he would make them holy, that he would nourish them, that he would cherish them. Oh, if they would just come and be part of his body and receive him. That's, we're, we're fulfilling that. We're loving God and we're loving each other. And as we're doing that, we're fulfilling the Great Commission. So the church of Jesus, because love is active, the church of Jesus is not passive or defensive. We are on the offensive. We are rescuing people from darkness. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6 For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. When your obedience is complete, what is that? That's the transformation. That's walking in the good good works. That's, that's doing the things that God is calling us to do. Why? Because we love him. And so we wage spiritual warfare and we rescue the perishing. And we do so with confidence. We can live this life with confidence because we have Christ in us and he overcomes darkness. John 1 verses 4 and 5 In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we live this way. We show Christ to the world, and he overcomes the darkness. It's not on us. It's him through us. It's him through you. You are the answer to someone's prayer. God, I need you. Show yourself to me. And he says, okay, I'm going to send you this brother or this sister. You're the answer to that prayer of one groping in darkness for hope. You are shining the light of Christ in their life, and that light overcomes their darkness. We have confidence. And we have confidence because hell itself cannot stop him. Matthew 16, 18. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, that's the the gospel message that's having Christ in us, receiving him, having the spirit now in our life, God tabernacled with us, Peter talking about Jesus being Messiah. So he says, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You're on the offense. 
You have the Spirit of God in you, and you put on the armor of God, it says in Ephesians, and you go into the world, and you walk in light, and you shine light into darkness, and the gates of hell, what are they? Those are defensive mechanisms. They're trying to keep you out. Satan is doing all he can to keep you away from those whom he has captured. And you go and you rescue them with Jesus. You have full confidence because he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. So what does a disciple do? Matthew 22, 37 through 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Church, how are you loving God, and how are you loving your neighbor? Will you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You're so good to us. We don't deserve your goodness, your kindness, or your mercy, but yet you bestow it freely. And you call us to come. You say, come, follow me. And so we, this morning, we say yes. Holy Spirit, if there's something that keeps us from saying yes, will you reveal that to us right now? What is the reason that we would say no to whatever you're calling us to? And then let us just present that to Jesus at his feet. Would we just tear down that lie, tear down that lofty thought, tear down that thing that keeps us from saying yes and just submit that to you, Lord Jesus? And then as we do that, would you just bring the good works out of our life to show people this great, marvelous salvation that we have? Transform us, we pray. May we love you with all that we are. And may we love one another as ourselves, just as you have loved us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.